The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 14. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I'll visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. It seems to me religious leaders, self-help gurus, politicians seem to have one message in common. And it goes like this. I will show you the way. This is the way forward. Follow these rules Live out these principles, seek these goals. Don't you think? I'll show you the way. And of course, throughout history, many of them have had really good things to say. Many leaders have been great uh, in their countries. But it's, it's interesting, most of them, at least the credible ones, agree that even though they say they're going to show you the way, they themselves don't always follow their own way. But the leaders of this world say, I've got, I've got advice for you. I want to show you the way. Now, why do I bring that up? Because there's everybody in the whole world and all their stuff over here, and then, then there's Jesus. Totally different, totally unique. Now, does he show you the way? Well, yeah, right? He's the greatest teacher with the highest moral teachings ever in history. Um. Does he show you the way in how he lived? Yes, he's the greatest example of a human being who ever lived. He actually lived out his way. But the heart of his message was not, let me show you the way. He did not come ultimately to say, here's the rules, keep them. Here's a goal, seek it. He knows that has been tried and has failed. He did not come just to show you the way. Jesus said, you know it, I am the way. 
I am the way. Jesus came to be the way. So when you trust yourself to Jesus, you don't just get forgiveness of sins. Well, that's a wonderful thing. I, I need that. But he actually gives you himself. The person of who he is belongs to you. Uh, something amazing happens. Theologians call it being united to Christ. But he, that's why you hear ideas like this in the New Testament. What is the church, the people who trust Christ? We're his bride. We're, we're connected. We're his body. We're connected. We're his family. We're connected. He doesn't just show you the way. I mean, I, I feel like that's every other thing out there in the world. Hey, do these things. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not enough. I'm the way, who I am. So why are you forgiven if you're forgiven? It's because Jesus died on the cross for you, and when you trust him, who he is and what he's done is now yours. That's why you're forgiven. He has so connected himself to you that he wore your sins. If you're right with God, why are you right with God? It's because if you've trusted Christ, you're so connected to him that he gave you his perfect life. If you have a new life now, if, you, if, you're, if you're growing in your relationship with God, you're finding yourself, you, you love God. He gives you joy and peace and meaning. Why are you new? Why are you different? It's because you have his Holy Spirit in you, with you. You're, you're being changed by a person. And like we enjoyed last Sunday, you believe you're gonna rise from the dead? And that gives meaning and hope and an anchor to how you live now? Well, why are you gonna rise from the dead? It's because he rose, and his resurrection is yours, and he gives you what he has. Jesus is the way. Isn't it amazing? The Apostle Paul sums up Christianity like this with this, with this statement. Look at Colossians 127. We read it with me? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. He's the way. His friendship, his salvation. Now, maybe if you, you heard me read 1 Corinthians 16 and you've read some, you saw some stuff about giving and Paul's travel schedule, and you're like, uh, you know, that wasn't on the top of my urgent list. How many of you came here today wondering about Paul's first century travel schedule? And it just was an ache in your heart, and you're like, oh, God, if only he would preach on Paul's travel schedule. <laughs> Those of you raising your hand, I don't believe you. <laughs> I want to remind us of the context. Chapter 15 was all about the power of the resurrection. Jesus literally physically rose from the dead, and that proves who he is and what he's done. That's that anchor, the heartbeat of Christianity. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this is junk, this is foolishness, this is a game. It's not real. Uh, but he rose from the dead. That means he is the son of God who came to save sinners. He's king of kings, lord of lords. He rose from the dead. Heart of Christian belief. Then the way that connects for Paul is because he rose from the dead, his people will rise from the dead. God is no friend of death. He doesn't like death. He doesn't enjoy death. And when God is finally all in all and has fully redeemed his creation, he will kill death. That's his mission. That's what he's going to do, which means everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ, you will rise from the dead physically. And for many of us struggling with all sorts of physical challenges, isn't that awesome news? 
you're going to get up again. Death is just, we were trash talking death last week. He's just a gardener now. He can plant you so you grow into something. He, he just puts you to, for a nap. Then you wake up because of what Jesus has done. I want you to see how Paul ended that chapter, 1558. Paul said, Jesus rose, will rise, and then he says, therefore. So you know what therefore means. Because of this, then that. So 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So you can pour yourself out for the Lord Jesus, despite whatever challenge that brings or how hard it is or what life throws at you. You can keep going. We Christians are buoyant no matter what life brings because Jesus rose, we're going to rise so our labor's not in vain. It keeps us going. So what should our labor look like then? Here's what, here's what I'm trying to show you. We have Christ. He's the way. We have eternal life. We have it now. Christ's life is eternal life. If you have Christ, you have eternal life. His life in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have eternal life now. Okay. What does it look like then when eternal life invades everyday life? That's the question today. So you got this high theological like, whoa, resurrection. What does it look like on Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m.? How does eternal life get into everyday life? What does it look like? And I think that's what chapter 16 is showing us. Let's get practical. So it's an application it's an application text. Because we've built this foundation on Christ in you, the hope of glory, he rose, you'll rise. Life is meaningful. What do we do now? How do, how do I live this out? Make it real practical. Make it, make it dirty in the sense of your feet are on the ground, you're doing stuff. And that's what chapter 16 shows us. We see it from Paul's example. We see it for what he encourages. We see it from what he wants. He's showing you values or passions you can have when eternal life invades your everyday life. So I think there's five in here. That's the way I read it. Five values or passions for when eternal life invades your everyday life. I'm just gonna do three today. If you refuse to leave after I'm done and you're like, more, 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 I'll do the next two. But if not, we'll just do three. We're going to see Three values, I think, that kind of bubble up in the Christian heart when you know you're going to live forever. Three things that start to captivate you when you want to live for Christ in every way because you know he's your life. Values, passions, when eternal life invades your everyday life. So we're going to see here, it's not, again, just remember, it's not a list of rules for people who want to be religious, that's not what this is. Hey, how can I be a religious person? Here, follow this list. No, Jesus, yeah, he shows you the way. He is the way. This is, this is a list of passions for people who have Christ in their life. You're also gonna see it's not very celebrity. There's nothing in here about being the most successful leader of, or having everything together or always completing your task list or always having the kitchen and the living room clean or um, all those things that we have, that overwhelm us sometimes. Different than you might think. It's for regular people. It's for everyday people. This is for people who don't have everything all together. So uh, it includes you. If Christ is your life. So I want to see three values for when eternal life invades everyday life. 
So if you know Jesus and he's your life, latch on to something today. So I really hope you be praying and thinking about, okay, what do you have for me, Lord? How can you ignite this passion in my life? How can I live this out this week? How can I make this practical? Show me, latch on to something. If you don't know Jesus, we're so glad you're here. Really glad you're here. Um, you can just listen in and see what Christians, what we hope to be, because we'll admit, if you're not a Christian, you're here, you're checking it out, we'll admit we don't always live the way we should. Would you guys admit that with me? Uh, we're not who we wanna be, but we know Jesus loves us anyway, and he's working us into who, who we are in him and who we can be. So let's look at these values together. I think we're gonna see the first passion or value for when eternal life invades your everyday life in verses one to four. Look at verse one. Now concerning the collection for the saints. Now here's when the skeptic says, aha, I knew it. You talked about Jesus, but really you're all about money. <laughs> Anybody have that? You know, you, see, I was wondering, I was watching you, pastor. Well, let's walk through what he's saying. First of all, it's a collection for the who, verse one. Saints, we learned from many of the New Testament documents that around this time, there was a, a severe famine in the area of Jerusalem. And so Paul was very passionate about collecting funds from the wider church to go and provide food and care for those in need in Jerusalem. So this is not a Paul like adding on another section to his big house, which he never had. Okay, this is him trying to feed hungry people, provide for the poor. He wants us to meet the needs of others. But, but even, you know, if we, we get nervous about talking about money in church, is it, isn't money always about investment? What do you do with your money? I bet you have a few priorities that you share with me. Provision, don't you use money to invest in your provision? How many of you, I, I remember like when I started living on my own, got married and I went to the grocery store for the first time and I was like, what in the world? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Who can afford to eat, <laughs> right? I'm really gonna have to change my budgeting. Uh, I'm gonna have to get a budget more like that for me. <laughs> we invest in our provision constantly all the time, right? Glad to do it, you have to do it. What else do you invest in? Maybe you're saving, you're investing in security. Um, trying to build security for those you care about, for yourself. But here's another one we invest in all the time. How about pleasure? How many of you have been to Starbucks this week? How many of you have been somewhere to get something good and tasty to eat or drink when you needed it? Okay? When you're down, you gotta go eat something. Or for me, like it's three, it, 6 a.m., coffee, 10 a.m., coffee, 3 p.m., coffee, maybe one more at 6 p.m. Uh, that just make, I'm, I'm a happier person. And I'm willing to invest in that, in that decision. We invest in pleasure all the time, constantly, all the time. Okay? What happens when eternal life invades everyday life? What happens? Supposedly, you just get changed on your motivations, what you love, what you care about. You have, you have different pleasures. You have different ideas about provision now. How do you provide for people? You have different ideas about security and the future. You've been invaded by Jesus. Look at this passage from 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what? Rich. 
Yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that by his poverty, you might become rich. What did Jesus do? What, what kind of richness did he leave when the eternal Son of God took on flesh? That's a downgrade, right? That's a demotion. Um, when, he, when he lived um, in poverty in first century Palestine, not only that, what kind of poverty did he face when he went to the cross? Naked, shamed, mocked, abandoned. Why did the, the richest, most glorious become the poorest, most hated? Why did he do that? He did it for you. We who were poor in our sins, lost, alone. And he did that so that we might become what? Rich. But don't, don't misread this. Jesus did not die for you so that you could become a millionaire. Okay, some people say that. That's, that's really, that's a lie. It's a horrid lie. Um, that, and, and the reason that's a lie is because that's not nearly enough. It's not nearly enough. Do you, can you taste how Jesus makes you richer than you ever could imagine? Most of all, you have him. If you have him, what else do you need? I mean, do you remember who Jesus is? The creator, the sustainer, the holy one, the beautiful one, the source of all good, the source of all life. If you have Jesus, that's enough. He makes you rich. He gives you himself. But he doesn't just give you himself. I mean, just, just hosts of blessings. We can't even count them. The fruits of his spirit, love, joy, peace, meaning in life, truth in life, dear friends, spiritual family, the kingdom of heaven forever and ever, a resurrection. I mean, it's just on and on and on. He makes you rich. He makes you rich. His life has invaded your life. He became poor so that you could become rich. And if you know you have that, do you know you have that? All of a sudden, what happens to just the material riches? They're still great. They're still good. They have a point. But Jesus gave up his so that I could be rich. And what does that start to build in me? Now that I'm rich in him, I could become more poor than I am right now so that someone else could have more. That's how Paul thinks. When eternal life invades your everyday life, you have new passions, you have a new treasure. Look what Jesus himself said, Matthew 6. He says in, in verse 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Isn't that true? What do you love the most right now? Don't be spiritual, just be honest about yourself. Like, what do you, what do you love the most? What is your actual practical treasure it's where your heart is. It's what you're daydreaming about, hoping for, dreaming about, working for. You care about it. You're fostering it. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. Would you admit that sometimes you're, how you value certain treasures is a little off? Can you look back in your life and say, man, I really put a lot of passion and energy into some things that they weren't as good as I had th originally thought? We don't, we don't always value our treasures correctly. When eternal life invades your everyday life, don't you have a new treasure all of a sudden that kind of dominates the other ones? Living for Christ, doing what he's doing, uh, showing his love to others. Where your treasure is, your heart is also, Matthew 6, same passage. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why do we want to give? Because I want to play a part in the most awesome thing that's going on. I want to I wanna be part of the team. I want to invest in my true treasure, which is Jesus and what he's doing. 
When eternal life invades your everyday life, you're going to value giving with integrity. You're going to have a passion for giving with integrity. And that's what Paul's talking about. Um, Commentator David Garland sees five principles here just in these four verses that show you the integrity Paul is talking about. Look what he says in uh, verse two. So he's, he's collecting from these Christians so that they can invest in God's kingdom because they have a new motivation, they have a new treasure, they want to live for Christ. Verse, verse two, on the first day of the week, so when are they supposed to uh, save up to give? Every week. What does it show you about giving already? It should be regular. Why do you think Paul wants Christians to give regularly? Well, the need is regular. <laughs> that never goes away. I tell you what happens in my heart when you give regularly. It becomes a discipline, doesn't it? If I don't give regularly, I won't be giving very much. I won't be giving like I want to give. I'll forget about it or the budget whole thing. Oh, I went here. Oh, I'm going to have to cut somewhere there. If you don't give regularly, you won't give like you want to. Do you want to give? Give regularly. And then it, it always helps me remember, too, who, who the money really belongs to. If you're a Christian, your life is not your own. You know, there's a story about the Crusaders. I don't know if it's true. If somebody wants to fact check this, they can do that. That's a good illustration. Story about the Crusaders. They were getting baptized so they could go fight their wars. But uh, as the water was coming down, they held their swords out over here. So the water would just come here, but keep their swords dry. In other words, okay, Jesus, we belong to you, except our swords. How many times are we like, baptize me, Lord? <laughs> except for this. That one's mine. No way. Your treasure is your heart is also. Your wallet gets baptized too. I'm gonna give regularly. It's God's money. He also says, on the first day of the week, he also says, each of you should give. So you don't need to be a Greek scholar to figure this one out. Who should give? Each of you. Each meaning each. You. People in the church who love Jesus, you should give. And we're like, is there a, was there a, like a loophole on like who doesn't? No. Each of you give. Um, why? Because each of you is a child of God and a part of the family and a part of the army and a part of the movement and you have a part to play. You have a part to play. And, and all of us are called to love and give and serve. Everybody who belongs to Christ wants to have the heart of Christ. Every, our eternal life has invaded our everyday life. We have a passion to give. It's for each of us. But look at this. He says, each of you should give. And then he says, as he may prosper. That's so interesting. By the way, who gets to decide how much you give? Did you see anything in here for Paul telling like an individual person it's got to be this dollar amount? Do you see anything in here about the church saying, hey, you, you have to give this much? Or is it you give as you've prospered? And maybe somebody might say, well, how much is that? And you know what I'm going to say to you? You figure that out. You figure that out. That's your call. So not only do we give regularly, we give universally, we give proportionally. As you may prosper. Um, yeah. Newsflash, right? Some people have more money than other people. Yeah, I know. I know I'm a scholar. I've been, yeah. Some people have more money than other people. And guess who usually can give more money? The people who have more money. Yeah, I know. And that's fine. God looks at the heart. 
I have no doubt he is more pleased sometimes with somebody who's giving less because they're sacrificing more and their heart's right than he is with somebody who's giving more because they probably should give a whole lot more and maybe their heart's off. Give proportionally. You give, you give what you can give. You, can de- you get to decide. The fifth thing we see here, give regularly, give universally, give proportionally. He says, give freely. Because he doesn't, did you see the phrase? I want you to be collecting so that I don't have to do any collecting when I come. What does Paul not want to do when he gets there? Give me the, give me the money. He's like, please don't make me do that. He hates the manipulation. He hates the, the, the selling of it. He wants it to be free and voluntary. That's the beauty of it. Give freely. God loves a cheerful giver. You don't have to give if you don't want to. God's not poor. But why wouldn't you want to give if eternal life has invaded your everyday life? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Then he says, give wisely. I love what he says in verses three and four. Um, Verse four, if it's advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. That's interesting. What is he saying about how he's gonna take all this money to Jerusalem? He's saying, hey, church, you pick people. You pick them. I don't need to pick them. You pick people who are gonna go with me. Why do you think he's doing that? Well, wouldn't it be a little bit of dirty pool if you're like, no, just give me all the money. I, I'll take it. I promise. I might have to make a few stops along the way. What happens when people have money and no accountability? What happens when people have other people's money and no accountability? This is what we're all sick of in the Christian world, right? Money flowing in and some some dude in a white suit living in a house that's way too large and saying he needs a private jet for the spread of the gospel. That happens, and that's disgusting. And Paul says, you you give the way you want to, and, and you collect it the way you want to, and you send your people with me to take this money. So that everybody knows, this is blameless, this is above board, this is to love and serve other people, this is not to build my 401k. Don't you love that? Christians value giving with integrity, personal integrity. I'm doing it regularly. I'm doing it as I can. I'm doing it freely, because I wanna play a part in what God is doing. And we, and we value communal integrity. Hey, we got eyes on what's happening with the money. One person's not in charge of everything all the time so they can abuse it all. There's accountability because we wanna do this blamelessly because ultimately this is eternal life invading our everyday life. We wanna live for Christ even with our money. Do you see that? Is that a value for you? Is that a value for you? And do you see how eternal life changes your giving? Okay, if this life is all there is, how much should you give away? I'm just gonna go hardcore atheist integrity here and say, I don't wanna give anything away. Some people say, well, I give because it makes me feel good. Well, okay, self-love. I, I'm not, huh? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Get all the joy you can right now if this life is all there is. But if this life is just the appetizer to the real life, and if you're gonna stand before Jesus who might look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you. How much will you have wanted to invest in this life, in his kingdom? Do you think anybody standing before Christ is gonna be like, I gave way too much to God's work in the world. I regret this so much. Of course not. So when you get eternal life zapped into you, I want, I want to live for eternity. I want to do eternal things. And I just want to take a moment to praise you guys because so many of you are so generous. 
And you live out your eternal life all the time in your generosity. And you serve and you give. And even just in the last week, things I've been working on. Um, if, if you give to this church, you give to orphans in Haiti. They eat, they get educated in the name of Jesus in a church. We've been doing that faithfully for, what, eight years now. Um, uh, you paid for the church job fairs this Thursday where people got to come and, and hopefully feel a little bit of love of Jesus and maybe get a job, meet their practical needs. You're the ones who fill up like the benevolence fund where we can help those hurting in need in our congregation. Uh, you're enabling everything that happens here. You know, sometimes people ask me if there's some magical money fund that, that you know, where does the church get your money? Is there some, you know, church bank that sends it to you? It's like, no, man, this is it. Amazing, it's always amazing that it, that it works. But it does, because because you're so faithful, you're, gener you're generous. Thank you. That's one passion. You ready to hear the next one? All right. Second passion. When eternal life invades your everyday life, you want to make the most of your opportunities. I see four opportunities in verses 5 to 12. What's Paul want to do in verses 5 to 7? He's telling you his first century uh, travel schedule. I'll visit you after going to Macedonia and want to go to the Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you. Spend the winter so you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I don't just want to see you in passing. I want to spend time with you if the Lord permits. Well, traveling, especially by boat, which Paul did a lot in the winter, not a good idea. So you'd stay in one place for a while until it warmed up. So he has this opportunity of what the winter may bring. What's he want to do with his opportunity? I want to come see you guys. And if you're following along in the letter of 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, what, what does Paul want to do for these people? He wants to teach them. He wants to love them. He wants to build them up. He wants to train them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to bless them. He wants them to know Jesus more through his time with them. What's, gonna, what's Paul going to do with this opportunity of the winter? Well, he, could, he could just go to his retreat house or something, which he doesn't have. But instead, he's going to take the opportunity. I'm going to take it. I'm going to... I'm going to build up the church, this church. I want to spend the time with you, this community. Now, for Bible scholars in here, you've been following along. Is this church easy or hard to relate with? This church is a train wreck. I think every one of us in here would have left this church. There's, they sue each other, like literally. Would you go to a church where they're, yeah, my sister Sue is taking me to court next week. Okay, they are doing, they are doing some crazy stuff. If, if you're late, to church, you're late to communion. You get there, and the rich people are drunk on the, on the wine, the blood of Jesus. And you're like, none left for me, okay? Think I'm going to try a new church. That's the kind of church we're dealing with here. They're difficult, and it gets, this visit actually happens, and it gets rough. It's a hard visit. This is not an easy thing for him to do. And he says, I'm going to spend the winter with you. That really teaches me something. It should teach us something. What is he... What is he willing to invest personally as far as when it comes to taking opportunities to build up the church? He doesn't live for his own comfort, for his own freedom. Eternal life has invaded his everyday life, and now he, he sees building up the church as one of the most important things he can do. Build up the church. Second opportunity he wants to do, look at verse eight to nine. But before winter, where's he gonna stay? I'm gonna stay in Ephesus. Why? Verse 9. For a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, this is funny. What do you do when there's a wide door open, and inside that door are many adversaries? 
next door. Oh, this is going to be hard? I think I'll try plan B. There are adversaries. Ha, we do this. You have an opportunity with somebody, and you go, oh, that's hard. Must not be an opportunity. And we pray, God, give me an opportunity. And we're expecting opportunities are only when they're easy. And Paul just gave us two opportunities he's passionate about, and they're both really hard. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not an opportunity. That's challenging me. That's really challenging me. If you read the book of Acts, the history of the early church, in Ephesus, like, he almost died due to a riot in the city. He really did have some adversaries. What do you think the wide door for effective work means for him in this context? He has an opportunity here to share the gospel, the news of Jesus Christ with those who don't know it. He's sharing Jesus with people who don't know it. And anytime you do that, some people will love it, their hearts will change, and other people will hate it. They'll hate it because the gospel dethrones you. Right? It dethrones you. It tells you you have need. It tells you you're not right with God on your own and that you need someone else. And I think we all know a little bit of that in our own hearts. It humbles you. There's going to be adversaries, but Paul is going to take this opportunity to share the gospel. Verse 6, verses 10 to 20, or verses, verse 6 and then verses 10 to 11, he wants the Corinthians to take some opportunities. He says, I'm going to come spend the winter with you. Paul would never make a church pay him for the work he did with him, but he would let them send him to a new place. And so he says, I want you to take the opportunity to help me in the opportunity that I'm taking. So you see this new level of opportunity. We, had, we have Phil and Linda with us today. Do we have, they, they've taken the opportunity to go to South Sudan. It's kind of difficult there sometimes. Uh, we have an opportunity to help them in their opportunity. That's an opportunity, right? He's gonna send them Timothy. And Paul says, hey, help Timothy. He's doing stuff too. He's taking his opportunity. You help him with his opportunity. So there's an opportunity to build up the church. There's an opportunity to share the gospel. There's an opportunity to help somebody else who's already taken their opportunities. Another one in verse 12, look at this. Now concerning our brother Apollos, he's kind of like a famous preacher of the time. I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers. It's not at all his will to come now. He'll come when he has opportunity. What's Paul doing with Apollos? For some reason, Paul thought Apollos should go to Corinth now and spend time with him. He's encouraging Apollos to take an opportunity that he hasn't done yet. Sometimes that's what you and I need to do. You see somebody else, your brother or sister has an opportunity, you might be like, you should try something. You're gifted for something. You have something going on. And to make it even better, Paul, Apollo says, no, I don't want to do it yet. Does Paul say, and he's a total jerk for not following my commands. He just won't listen. Does Paul give you anything negative about Apollos? Or does Paul say, Apollos is free to take his own opportunities? I love the freedom here. You're free to give what you want. Apollos, you're free to take the opportunity or not, but I'm going to urge you to do it. We don't want to judge other people for the opportunities they take or not, but we do want to encourage them. I think you're seeing the point. When eternal life invades your everyday life, you become passionate about making the most of your opportunities. How many of you are missing opportunities all the time? I know I am. Can I tell you a little story? It's always unfair when a preacher asks that question because you're like, you're gonna tell me whether or not I say yes or no, but I'm just like pretending to be you know, consider it. Can I tell you a little story? Oh, I'm going to. So I got to be in Oxford uh, for a class. And usually I'm a pretty extroverted dude, but this night I was so tired, and I was like, I'm just gonna be by myself. 
Plus, Oxford is a cool place to walk around. I just felt so spoiled to be there. So on the way out of where I was saying, I, I prayed, Lord, I'd love, to, I'd love to share the gospel with somebody if you give me a chance. And then I totally forgot that I had prayed that. And I walked around Oxford for, I don't know, two hours. And I did, I did some things I never do. Here's what I did. I think it's really awkward. I'm embarrassed to even tell you. Twice I sat down in a restaurant, got the menu, and then left. Have you ever done that before? I didn't let him give me any, I didn't eat any bread or anything like that because that would have been wrong. But I sat down in the restaurant twice and said, I just, I don't want to eat here. I never do that. I never, ever do that. So it ended up being two and a half hours till I actually got to the place I actually ate. And in that time, I'd, re- I'd sat down and left two places, ran into my classmates. They asked me to dinner with them. I was like, I don't really want to. Well, I mean, what am I doing? I'm wandering around with my, like a fool. And I finally picked a restaurant. As soon as I walk in, this guy says, hey, you picked the right place. The food here is great. Oh. And guess where I ended up sitting? Like right next to him. But then even then, I was feeling tired and introverted. You ever feel this way? Somebody tries to talk to you, you're like, why do you think, why, why do you think, you, why do you think I want to talk to you? Which is so evil. <laughs> so evil. So, holy spiritual me, it's confession time. I open my Bible, because, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm spiritual, even though I don't want to talk to this person. And I just happen to be in John 4, where Jesus goes out of his way to share himself with a Samaritan woman, even though he hasn't had anything to eat. And the alarm just went off. All the Jesus alarms in my head just went off. You have those? Hey, hey, remember when you prayed? And ask me for an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? (laughs) Shut the Bible. You don't need to spend time with me right now. Okay. Okay. I talked with him for the next three hours. For the next three hours. We had an instant connection. Um, He was actually there to deliver a paper on his research and studying the cell in the fight against colon cancer. So he's like way smart. He's delivering a paper in Oxford, you know, way smart. Um, but we had, the, we had the greatest conversation. We ended up going to uh, ice cream afterwards and just talk. We talked about everything. And uh, we got to talk about the gospel in such a deep way. And, uh, and it was new and fresh to him. I'm not telling you that as like showing you that, that doesn't always happen in my life. Remember I told you how all the, all the places I left and then why was I wandering around so much? God, I asked God for an opportunity, gave me one. And I felt his scheduling in it. Because he, had to, he had, to, I had to mess around for a couple hours before the guy I was supposed to talk to arrived. And then he got me there. I mean, he, he put me right there in this opportunity. And even though I asked for it, I still almost didn't take it. Christians, if eternal life has invaded your everyday life, make the most of your opportunities. You only get so many. Did you know that? With every person we're with, even with one another, one of our opportunities is to build up the church. We're, we're going to move. We're going to die. We're going to leave. We're, it, this doesn't last forever. You have how many? You have this many opportunities with every person in your life 
with your family, with your friends, with your church. You have this many opportunities to build them up, to encourage them, to bless them, to pray for them, to listen to them. Make the most of them. With the unbelievers in your life, you got unbelieving friends and neighbors and family members. And sometimes we're like, one day I'll share the gospel with them. One day I wanna, I wanna tell them about Jesus. One day, and you look up, it's been 12 years. And I'm just waiting for an opportunity. You have an opportunity if you know them. Make the most of your opportunities. That's the big one today. Make the most of your opportunities. When eternal life invades your everyday life, well, come on, can't you feel the weight of eternity on this? Now's the time. Last one, last principle for this morning. Really helps us after we think of the last one. Eternal life and everyday life values living with courage. Look at verse 13 to 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. I'm gonna tell you why, but I think he's basically saying live with courage. He says in verse 13, be watchful. That's like a, in that word, it has a feel of like a sentry standing guard throughout the night. Why does he need to be watchful? Well, there's, there's enemies. I know I'm tired, I wanna fall asleep. No, you can't. There's enemies. What enemies do you need to worry about? And you're thinking of like a couple neighbors, maybe, somebody here at church. That's not your real enemy. No, that's not your real enemy. What's your real enemy? Look what's going on in your heart and your mind. Look at those ideas floating around. What the Bible calls worldliness, the whole system of things that wants to demean God, deny God, ignore God, and make you think this life is all there is and you gotta fight for yourself, it's about you. You should be watchful. Your thoughts towards other people, your thoughts about God, your thoughts about yourself, how you're living your life. Look, are, are you living in the light of eternity? Be, be watchful, be awake, be aware. Because eternal life's invaded your everyday life. You can't just float through this. You gotta be vigilant. Not only that, stand firm in the faith. The word faith can mean a couple things, right? If you have a personal faith, that's your trust in something. The faith's a little different. It's what you trust in. You see the difference? There's a personal verb thing. Put your faith in it. You're trusting it. The faith, what are you trusting in? The Christian faith. This is what I believe as a Christian. Stand firm in the faith. What's that mean? Stand firm on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you as given in the, in the scriptures. Stand right here. Don't move. Don't put your hope anywhere else. This is your life. Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Stay right here. Paul says this in other words, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Trust Jesus, his word, his promises. Stand firm right there. Then he says, act like men. All right, I'm gonna do a little language stuff for you, okay? Hang with me. Everybody say, andrizomai. I'm trying to wake you up, andrizomai. This is why, all at once, andrizomai. Come on, give it to me, andrizomai, okay? Greek, it means act like men, andro men, okay. Man up or something like that. Okay, have you ever heard the word Septuagint? Go ahead and say Septuagint. Okay. That's the Old Testament translated into Greek. So Paul, he likes his Old Testament. He knows it in Hebrew and he reads it in Greek. Okay? It reminds you of the old joke. What do you just call somebody when they speak three languages? 
trilingual. What do you call somebody who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call somebody when they speak one language? American. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's not an American. He knows a bunch of languages. And he's reading the Old Testament in Greek. The Old Testament says things like this all the time. Look at Deuteronomy 31.6. All the time. This is repeated to the people of faith. Be strong. And what? Courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Why? For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Be courageous. Why do you need courage? Do you ever need courage to eat like a bowl of ice cream? Come on, you can do it. I don't know. Uh, you're right, I can. You don't need courage for easy things. When do you need courage? Hard things, scary things. Paul's calling you to do scary things, hard things. Eternal life has invaded your everyday life. Give a little more than maybe you're scared. You're, I'm scared to give. Take opportunities. I'm scared to take these opportunities. I gotta fight my sin. Be watchful. Take courage. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Why? The Lord, your God, is with you. He won't leave you or forsake you. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, act like men, be strong, be strong and. Guess what the Greek word is for courageous? Andrizomai. Do, do you see what happened there? Andrizomai. So what does Paul mean when he says, act like men, andrizomai? Be courageous. He just said the same thing the Old Testament said. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't be afraid, be courageous. Be courageous, inner strength to do what's right and good when there's pressure not to, when it's hard to do it. When eternal life invades your everyday life, it takes courage and it gives you courage. It gives you courage. And our last verse for today is, let all that you do be done in love. That's a good one. So what exactly should be done in love again? All. What does love and courage have to do with one another? You ever thought of that? What do love and courage have to do with one another? Have you seen, ever seen somebody take courage to do something that was totally unloving? Come on. Have you ever been to a Christian debate? Somebody very courageously standing up for what's true and right, and it just feels ugly feels ugly. Why? There was no love. There was no love. I've done that. I've been the criminal in that room before. I've been the victim too. Just, just criticize. They're standing for what's godly and what's right. And they forgot you're a person. Am I allowed to make mistakes like ever? Um, did, you, did you ask me why? There's no love. You can try. When, when, when the heat gets hot, you need courage but when the heat gets hot and you have courage, all of a sudden, sometimes you become the warrior with the double-bladed axe. And in your courage, you're just cutting down all the trees. When you need courage, what kind of courage do you need? Loving courage. Let all that you do be done in love. By the way, love takes more, car more courage. It takes more courage. Anybody can be angry, mean, bitter, self-righteous, easy. It'll give you some courage, but it's kind of ugly. Loving courage, totally different. Totally different. It'll, you'll look like Jesus. 
loving courage. Not only does love take more courage, love gives courage. Love gives courage. If you stand firm in the faith, you're remembering who Jesus is and what he's done and that he is your life. And guess how Jesus feels about you if you're in Christ? Do you remember? He loves you. When eternal life invades your everyday life, you know you're loved. Are you loved? Do you know that? How much are you loved by the Lord Jesus? Came for you, lived for you, died for you, rose for you, promises himself to you. He didn't just give you a list of rules. He didn't just say, this is the way. He said, I'm the way. Christ in you. He says, I want to be in you, the hope of glory. You're loved. If you remember your love by Jesus, guess what you'll be filled with? Courage. And guess what kind of courage you'll show? Loving courage. So if you're, you, if you, two questions for you. Do you know Jesus? Do you have him in your life? Do you know who he is and what he's done? Do you know his love? He doesn't just want to forgive you of your sins. He'll do that, but he wants to give you himself. And he wants his eternal life to invade your everyday life so you belong to him totally. If you do know him and you have him, how, I want to ask you, how can your eternal life more invade your everyday life? We just, saw, we just saw three principles today. Giving with integrity. Maybe, maybe the Lord wants you to be a little more like Jesus, be a little more poor so that somebody can be a little more rich so that you can, so you can work for the kingdom. Maybe that's what he's calling you to do. Ask him. Maybe he's telling you to take some opportunities. You, you got opportunities. He gives them to you, but they're limited. What opportunities is he calling you to do? You ever had a good thought? Oh, I really want to share the gospel with that person, or I really want to send them a note. I want to encourage them. I want to thank them. Or there's some people there that they could use my help. I could help them. There's, there's an opportunity, and you're like, yeah, but I'm tired. I'm busy. You never get to it. Make the most of what opportunity you have. And not only that, do it with courage because you're loved. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the eternal life you give us in your Son. And we thank you for how we can live that out in practical ways. Uh, Lord, just uh, do your work today. Draw us to yourself. If anybody here doesn't know you, Lord, I just pray they'd sense your sweetness, your goodness, and they'd wanna, they'd wanna commit their life to you. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, uh, just move, move in us and, and help us live out more of the eternal life we have in you in our everyday life. Um, help us give. Help us take these opportunities. Give us courage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.